Let's pray. God, we love you, and we just thank you, Lord, for your love for us, and we praise you, Lord, that you are a holy God who is good, Lord, that we can trust you, Lord, in a way that overwhelms our lives, Lord, in a way that that totally turns our priorities upside down. God, I pray that that would be the fruit of our lives. I thank you for the time that the women of our church had just to, to still away and kind of get a break in rhythm and scenery, and Lord, uh, and just to, to dive into your loving truth and to do that together, Lord, and I thank you for how we're all going to be a better be better as a result of, of what you have shown them this weekend. God, we give you this time, Lord, right now as we come to your word and as we continue to, um, to think on prayer, uh, I pray that you would stir our hearts up, that we would be a people of prayer. I pray that right now you would open our view of our opportunity in prayer, and Lord, that right now you would continue just to root our motives in your glory and your glory alone. So God, we love you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are continuing a little two-week mini-series on prayer. Uh, last week, Andy kicked us off, but, but in our history, we really only taught two specific Sundays on prayer. We, back when we were teaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and we went through the Lord's Prayer, we taught on it. And then last week, Andy taught on prayer. Of course, we, we love to pray. We pray a lot. We pray, prayer comes up a lot. But as, as far as sermons on prayer, uh, this is really only our third, so it's kind of fun. Uh, but both, uh, both of the previous sermons kind of had the, the, the general, they kind of generally had the same message. Um, and it kind of was the idea that our prayers are for the glory of God, as we just said. And that, and that happens largely through our prayers revealing God's will to us and conforming our will to his. And just a quick aside, like thinking about today, today being Palm Sunday, the, the, the first day of Holy Week, the day that Jesus entered in into his triumphal entry, and there was just crowds cheering and crying out that our Messiah has come. It was a day of glorious expectation. It was a day that, that many celebrated, but it was also a day of wrong expectation. Because many of those who exalted him and cried out his name as the deliverer we're the same ones who cry, crucify him. And when we think about prayer and the overall charge of prayer, it's really a lot about motives and a lot about our right expectations. And so as, we, as Andy taught us last week, he, he really called us to a few things, of, and he showed us what an active prayer life is born out of. He said, first off, it comes from just knowing and understanding the person of God. If our, if our motive is to be his glory, well, then what, it's a greater motivator than actually seeing that he is all love, all good, all just, all powerful, all of these things. So, again, it starts with knowing and understanding the person of God. It, uh, it again, it then leads us to the place of wanting his will over ours and then desiring the brokenness of this world to be overcome by his redeeming grace in Jesus Christ as we long for shalom, the completion, the restoration of all things. So that's what Andy took us to last week, and he left us with a great encouragement. And he's a shoe dude, and so he likes Nike a lot. And, and I don't know which came first, Nike or Jesus, but it said, uh, he said, just do it. I think we know the answer to that. But he said, just do it. He said, when you're thinking about prayer, like just the opportunity is just to do it. And it wasn't this like weight of your shoulders. Well, just do it more, do it more. It was, there is grace. Like just get in there and a loving heavenly father welcomes you in all of your imperfection. It was a gracious invitation to bring your imperfect prayers from your imperfect life to a loving and perfect heavenly father. And that we can trust that our heart the capacity for God-glorifying prayer will grow as we are sanctified more and more over time through that endeavor. So it was a great start last week. Um, today, 
I pray that we step into that invitation that Andy left us with and that it leads to us being a people, and I mean that like communally, that it means a, that, like, that we have a collective expression, being a people marked as being a people of prayer, full of humility, boldness, and courage. So today, um, I, pr- I pray that we do that, and, and thinking about why, um, I think of a couple reasons. First, when we think about prayer, we get that, that prayer is an opportunity to bring our needs before God. We get that. And as we grow in our, as we grow and mature in our faith and our understanding of God, we also see a deeper opportunity in that our, our prayers are, they're, they're a way for us to praise and adore God and, and, and to even know Him more. Um, those are the personal aspects of prayer, but, but we're also invited to an expression of prayer as a people, as we just said. And so thinking about our corporate and communal prayers, we, we want to see that these corporate and communal prayers, these collective expressions of faith and motive, they, they are a, they're a, um, a key aspect of us seeing God move, of us seeing God glorified. Um, it's the essential aspect of our gospel fellowship being more than just a caring community. People know the bridge for its community, but if we want to be more than just a bunch of really nice people that love each other well and are proactive when people are in need, it has to have a, a collective greater motive, and that's for the glory of God. Our corporate and communal prayers are an essential aspect of that. So what happens when we pray, repent, and petition God as a people? I want to read you um, a couple of passages. We, we studied Acts 2, uh, 42 through 47 uh, a few months ago, but I'm going to read a couple of passages to kind of give us some stepping stones to, to look at that passage real again, uh, to, to look at it again real quick. Uh, so first, Acts 1, 14 says this, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. The scene continues, Acts 2.1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. You're like, Heath, you're driving back to the community thing. Like it's, it's, but just keep, keep, stay with me. And then we get to Acts 2.42. 2.42 and 43 says this, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So we taught this text a while back, so of course we're not going to break everything down that there is here. Um, but, but I want to see that one phrase. It says, and all came upon every soul. All came upon every soul. When we talked about it before, it, we did set that out as like a desire, and is it something that we, uh, something if we are truly in this, that we probably all desire and long to see, all coming on every soul. And we're talking about the stuff that spiritual renewal, or to use a, a term that is slightly less in vogue but no less accurate, revival. We're talking about the th- of what revival is made of. We're talking about revival. So here in Acts 2, this is the day of Pentecost when the church first received the Holy Spirit. 
But we also see this posture and this move repeated throughout the New Testament through kind of these mini Pentecosts where there is a fresh move of the Holy Spirit of God's people. We just heard Sam reference Galatians and it's like, hey, you guys, don't you forget? Like, don't you remember? You, you, you bought in and you were re- renewed and, and, and you have the Holy Spirit. You've been given the Spirit and yet you're turning to, to, to your old ways. You're turning to the old way where you were responsible or your own righteousness. And so we see in that moment, it is a call to repentance, a call to call on God, a call that we need once again a fresh move of the Spirit. And man, there is so much to this that I feel this need to like address. Like, okay, like the Holy Spirit's never inactive. God is never inactive. He is always active. The Holy Spirit is always in us because He's given Him to us fully, but yet obviously, because we're human and God leads us and loves us in an understanding and patient way, we, we, we ebb and flow. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I am excited. And I have been without my wife. And anyway, yeah, anyway, she's back. Uh, you guys are so patient. I love y'all. Um, but today we are going to talk. This is what I want to talk about. Revival and spiritual renewal. Renewal. We, we need, we need a fresh move of the Holy Spirit. And that's my limited vernacular, right? Fresh move, but whatever. Like we need, we need him to come and invigorate us once again. And it is only because of our limited, our, our, our limits that we need that, but yet we do. And we see it has happened. Why do we need to pray for revival and spiritual awakening? Like why? Well, I mean, as I was getting ahead of myself and saying, we as people have this flesh pattern. We have a pattern. We see it all through the Old and New Testament, and we see it in our own lives. We go through periods of stagnation, and that's the, the nice word. There's another word, rebellion, denial. We, we do. Look at our life. We then we get to the pit, and we cry out. We get to our knees. Again, Old Testament, New Testament, us. And we, we get there and we cry out to God, God, we need you. Deliver us. Stir us up and restore us. Restore us as a people. These moments of crying out are the very prayers of spiritual renewal and revival that we must cry out for together. We long for it. So this is our opportunity for a couple of examples we're not going to go into today, but for you to go in your own study of, of prayers for revival in particular. I want to, I want to invite you to look at maybe Psalm 80. Um, or Isaiah 63, uh, 15 through, through the entire chapter of 64. Those are some, some beautiful prayers for revival. While the many occurrences like this that, that we see all throughout Scripture, while they vary in a lot of ways, whether they were um, kind of like mass or, or, or smaller groupings or, or kind of ceremonial or personal, the one thing that's consistent and all of these prayers for spiritual renewal and revival that resulted in a restoration and a stirring up, it was a cry that happened as a people. They cried out together in prayer. And so we see all of a sudden this, this love of community maybe takes on a greater purpose. Um, what is revival? What is spiritual renewal? Revival or renewal is a work of God in which the church is beautified because it is meant to point to Jesus and empowered because the normal everyday operations of the Holy Spirit are intensified. 
So to think about what are the normal everyday operations of the Holy Spirit, we can see throughout Scripture, and I'm, again, we're kind of moving fast. This is overview. Hopefully it leads us to digging deeper. But we see the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. We see that in John 16, 8. We see that the Holy Spirit leads us to an enjoyment and an assurance of grace and of the Father's love. Think about what we were just teaching, and it's coming up in Romans 8 again, but in Romans 5, he poured his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he gave us. The reminder, God working to remind us of his love and his favor and his goodness for you and me that he has given us in Christ. Again, the Holy Spirit calls that out to us. The Holy Spirit gives us access to the presence of God. We see that in John and 2 Corinthians. And then also we see the Holy Spirit uh, it leads to a creation of deep community and loving relationships. And you ever think about that, like the beauty of what we have is a work of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, once again, it should just put the stamp that the purpose of what we have is the, uh, the, of what we have is the glory of God. Because the Holy Spirit is about what God's about, right? Okay, Ephesians 4, 3 through 13. So that's the normal work of the Holy Spirit that he's always doing in the every day. Now imagine it intensified. Imagine that there is a fresh stirring up and a fresh experience of that to where it, it overtakes our reality in an overwhelming and pervasive way. And, and we are afraid of emotions, and rightfully we're afraid of pursuing emotions, Right, and because that, because we know that emotions can be false, and so I don't want us to hear this and think, okay, well let's let's just go and pursue some feeling. We're not talking about feeling. We're talking about the living God, and that He has made a way for us to know Him and experience Him, and so that's what we're talking about. So we pray for this because we can't plan for it. Or force it to happen. Uh, let me see if I have my worship order on me today. I think I do. Yeah, it's right here. If you could see it, you would see that on there, nowhere does it say, all falls upon every soul. Right? Andy didn't put it on the list. Maybe that's why. Uh, no, it's not your fault, Andy. That's the point. Okay, so, I mean, but we can't plan for it. We can't force it. So that's why we pray for it. It's a spiritual work that God is responsible for. It is solely the work of God, but we see that every time we see a picture of it in Scripture, God's people were together crying out for it. And again, let's just think of the building blocks, the person of God, the will of God, the glory of God, and the redeeming of the world. Does it start to make sense? And if the church is God's way in which he wants to reveal his glory and redeeming message of Jesus Christ, it's all coming together. But so I want to get more specific for a minute when we think about revival. Let's think about marks of revival. Okay, so marks of revival, the things that we would see that would make us say revival is happening right now. So one, there is an outpouring of the Spirit on and within the congregation so that the presence of God among his people becomes evident and tangible. Does that sound like fun? Yes, it does. And if you don't know it does, it does. And just I... I challenge you and encourage you just to give it a whirl and like let's just see what happens but there's an outpouring of the spirit that becomes tangible it becomes real it becomes overtaking it's God's presence we're talking about the slumbering or the complacent Christian being stirred up or just the worn down and weary being invigorated that's what we're talking about with that comes a new and deeper conviction of sin and repentance and man we cannot shy away from that 
Like, let's, let's welcome God ushering us into the place of his holiness where we say, oh my gosh, I am wretched. Like, that, if we want to get there, where, where, where that thing I just said, you got to go through this. you got to be brought to your knees, and man, there's got to be a love for repentance. There's got to be a serious dealing with of sin. The putting off and the putting on. And I'll tell you, if you ever come to the place of, of being called to question your salvation by, by, the, by the truth of God and the work of the Spirit, remember what he said. It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. It is a kindness to, because that, that, that journey will only lead to assurance. It doesn't lead to greater insecurity. It leads to greater assurance, and that's God's intent. So there is, there is a new and deeper conviction of sin and repentance. And this goes beyond just behavioral, moral, you know, outward expression. Now, yes, that matters, but it's also that we are greatly concerned with the inward posture and motive of the heart. And we see hearts just being transformed. And we see the truth of God just flourishing, blooming out of them. There is far more assurance and reality of the nearness and love of God. We become both humbler, if that's a word, more humble and more bold at the same time. What a great combination. More humble and more bold all at the same time. More deeply, we, we, because we, in our humility, we have remembered our need for a Savior. We remember our sin debt because we're brought to it, and we, like, and we deal with it, and we see the love of God expressed in Christ. So we, the more we feel our sin debt that was, that was satisfied by Jesus, we are in awe and wonder of the payment that was made on our behalf by Jesus. Again, this is the ingredients of revival, right? Do you, do you see, do you sense, like, wait, there, there is something here. Like, uh, I, okay, good. Stay with me. Far, so, so to think about this, and let's just, like, let our imaginations run for a minute or think back to your past when you've been here, it's palpable. It's observable. And therefore, it's contagious. It's contagious. It becomes impossible to remain a nominal and cultural Christian. Those around us that are giving, that are, and maybe in all sincerity, maybe in the most sincere way they know, they may be professing Christ, but yet it is still relegated to this place of just a compartment of your life. That would be nominal. And that's okay. Like, it's okay as long as we bring that to the Lord and say, Lord, okay, here it is. Do what you got to do. But it's, so it, it makes it impossible for the nominal and the cultural Christian to remain there. The light is shined. And it's like, and it's not like shine, oh, like to, like to where you're like a roach that needs to hide. Like you're like the moth to the flame. Yeah, but there's a momentum and a buzz. And it's not a buzz about us, it's a buzz about Jesus. It's a momentum of seeing him infiltrate the dark and overtake lives. It's a buzz about the gospel's promise and the reality that there's something real among us. Revival in a people. The community as a whole, as a whole. Like, again, I, I, like there is an, an absolute essential reality that we need to have a, a personal faith. It is personal that, that you are self-feeding, you're pursuing the Lord, but yet we cannot ever think of the church in singular terms. We cannot think of a believer, a Christ follower in singular terms. We are always 
a people. So the community as a whole in revival experiences a greater sense of passion, freedom, and the presence of God in our gathered times of worship. Now, yeah, this time, any other time that we gather in his name, there is, some, again, a greater sense of his presence. Okay, let's keep moving. Another mark of revival is this, that as a result of this outpouring of the Spirit, new people are brought into the church, and it begins to grow. And I'll tell you, I, one of the things I love about the bridge, and it's really frustrating, is that, is that we, we, get, we start to feel icky when we start talking about church growth. Like, we, we start to feel like, okay, are we just pursuing numbers again? Like, like are, are these temporal things or eternal things? That, those are the immediate questions that I love that come to mind. Um, I know that sometimes that can prevent us from actually being strategic together, intentional together for the gospel. And so we see that one of the fruits of revival amongst God's people is that the body of Christ, the collective of people in the name of Jesus, begins to grow. As I said, it's contagious. It's contagious. The value here is not just that we're growing in numbers, but that we're growing because people are being wooed to the liberation of Jesus. Both through the communal reality that, 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 that a church experiencing this will be far more attractive to the community around them. We've talked about that a lot. Like not, we, don't, we don't want to do attractional programming. We want to be an attractive community for the gospel. So it's not only that that we're attracted to the community because of our caring and sharing, and, and as well as being passionate worshipers, it's also that the personal lives of every Christ follower, right? Again, the, the, the collective of the individual. People experiencing God's beauty, love, and power in this way put the relationship with Jesus and the church first in their lives. It's natural. It just happens. This results in them becoming just radiantly attractive witnesses for the gospel. Like, again, they can't help it. I, I love it. I love, there are just people that, that just have that. And, I mean, they, and, and it just, you, you know, you wonder how they get to share their faith all the time. Well, it's because, like, this is what's happening in their life. They are radiantly attractive witnesses for Jesus. And in that, it's not only that our lives our lives shine the glory of God, but also we become more willing and confident to speak with others about faith, and we're more winsome in doing it, less judgmental, less disrespectful, less standoffish. We are, we are in alongside advocating for, fighting for, not fighting against, but we're more willing to because we have tasted and seen in a more vivid way. Here's a fun one. We become more confident in our own church. We don't now just have a couple of categories of people that we can invite to church. All of a sudden, we're like, man, I trust my church with anyone. This is great. So, yeah, we begin to trust and become more confident in our own church. We're willing to invite others despite their unfamiliarity with the words and norms here. So this is the reasons in, in the ways that we want to see our church grow. Let's have that holy ambition. Let's have that expectation. It's never the end all be all. Jesus in the glory of God is our goal. Making disciples is our way. Come what may, but we see that this is a fruit, not just Christians from other churches. Again, I'm glad to say that the bridge, we don't typically see that very much. Um, so it's not just that 
you know, another church, there's people that see something cool happening, and now they just want to be here, the fad church, but that we're seeing the gospel of Jesus overtake lives in a dramatic way through our community in this, in this we're seeing a sweeping across a people, and we see exciting responses to Jesus Christ from those that never have before. We're talking about salvation. We're talking about restoration, renew life, death to life. Okay, the last mark, there is a full impact on the community surrounding the church and even the broader culture. Revival forces our religion from just being a private matter. It's not just about us being faithful, but it brings it to the light. It brings it to the public sphere because our lives are overtaken. The way we see and engage our community is transformed as well. So, so many of the great movements of social transformation have come through spiritual awakenings. Abolition came through spiritual awakenings. So we see again, we, our church has an, has an amazing heart for the community around us, has an amazing heart for the world. So good on you. Let's stay in that direction. But let's, let's, uh, as, we, as we step into this and as we pray for this, guess what? We'll see an even greater fruit. We'll see, we'll see an even deeper inroad into new opportunities. We'll see, we'll see the, the line pushed forward and not just something that we have to tow. I didn't write that one down either. That's a good day. Um, because thinking about what Andy said last week with the shalom, and, and, and God is doing this work of restoring all things, bringing things back to completion. That's the peace that he's describing in shalom. And when we pray for the things that are broken, we're joining in with his heart for shalom. This is what we see because we have the heart of God. We cannot ignore what breaks his heart. The more that we are growing in, in, in developing that intimacy with him, we always have these stirrings. We all talk a lot about the things that we see and the needs that we know, and yet it often doesn't go past the stirring or maybe the talk. In revival, we are moved to act, not as a church program, although we may come alongside, but not as a church program, but as a movement of people acting in obedience and inviting others alongside. So although the degree of which these, these experiences may be had, uh, it may vary, they must be present if we want to see our churches not just grow in numbers, but in vitality as well. Tim Timothy Keller says, without deep renewal of the gospel in our hearts, our external lives will be sealed off from what we believe, and our beliefs will never result in concretely changed lives. So those are marks of revival. What kind of prayer, if, if the communal collective prayer is, is one of the keys to revival, what kind of prayer leads to revival? First, we'll say this, and, and this kind of overlaps greatly with what Andy taught last week, but it's focused on God's presence and kingdom. It's focused on God's presence and kingdom. It's first what we see, the kind of prayer that leads to revival. See John Miller in, in a book called Outgrowing the Ingrown Church, Points out that he points out this difference between maintenance prayer and frontline prayer meetings. He's talking about like, or like times of gathered prayer, maintenance prayer gatherings, meetings. They're short, they're mechanical, um, they're totally focused on physical and personal needs inside the church. Uh, he, 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 
again, those are not bad things to pray for. In fact, we're commanded to, and we're given plenty of examples of that. I mean, in the, in the, in the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread, right? Bring, you know, cast all your cares upon me. Cast all your cares upon God, for he cares for you, right? So it's not, it's not that, that they're bad, but it's just not what leads to revival. So we should continue in these postures of dependency and communal care, but yet, if we want to see, again, the glory of God overtake the world, that the world would know his name and surrender to Jesus, um, we also have to enter into what Miller calls frontline prayer. Um, he points out three traits of frontline prayer. Frontline prayer. He says that, you, that there is a request for, for grace to confess sins and humble ourselves. And again, thinking about the work of sin, uh, acknowledging our sin and repenting, we need God's help. Left to ourselves, we will say, oh, I'm doing a pretty good job. I'm better than that guy. You know, compared to a holy God, not so good. So we, and we need to set ourselves up beside him. And, and we need to see. And, and so we need to bring our desire and our need, say, God, we need your grace to confess sins and humble ourselves. I, you know, thinking about sharing some prayer requests this week, and one of the things I said, I, I am too weak to surrender. And I actually needed, I need God's strength to surrender. And surrender sounds like what you do when you have no strength left. Just thinking about, like, whatever it may be, hanging on a rope or CrossFit games, whatever. Like, at some moment, you are not a strength, and that's when you surrender your endeavor. But yet, when it comes to my will confronting God's will, it takes his strength to overcome my weakness. And so I think that makes sense. Um, but it is the request for strength to surrender. And so, again, a, a true confession in need, saying, God, we need your grace to confess our sins and humble ourselves. Uh, second trait, a compassion and zeal for the flourishing church. Again, do you see the church as God gave it, or do you see some Americanized expression of it? Do you desire it to be what God created us to be? Do you see it as God's means, as the way as he went, as he, that he wants to, again, take the hope of Jesus into the world? Do you see it as the beautifully imperfect expression of the, of the image of God restored in Christ? Do you love the church? Yes, you can be frustrated at it. But what do you do when you're frustrated with a loved one? You enter in and help. Do you love the church? A compassion and zeal for the flourishing church. And then the last trait, a yearning to know God, to see his face, to see his glory. Is there great, any greater ambition in your life than that? Yes, have ambition. Do your daily job and do it well. But again, it is for the glory of God and not just that you would glorify him in your way, but also that his glory would be ushered in to the sphere around you. So we're going to look in Acts 4 here. If you want to turn with me, you can. I meant to tell you earlier, because I knew we would be jumping a little bit. Uh, we do use the YouVersion Bible app. Um, there's an event. If you go to the More tab, click Events, um, and you'll see us pop up, and you'll have any of the scriptures we're using today are in there. Um, but we're going to look at Acts 4. We're also going to look at Acts 33 to wrap up our time today. But in Acts 4, as the disciples faced the threat of persecution, let's look at what they prayed. Okay, so they had just been threatened with persecution, and now they're praying. This is their prayer, Acts 4, 27 through 29. It'll be on the screen as well. 
For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, look, now, Lord, look upon their threats that they made against the church and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Instead of praying for protection, the prayer that they prayed was for boldness to continue proclaiming the truth of God. They're concerned with God's glory being shown and being known. And we do that through the proclamation of word and the living of deed. And lastly, the prayer for revival is bold and specific. All the prayers that lead to revival follow a pattern set by Moses. So as I said, we're going to look at Exodus 33. So Moses had pitched a tent outside the camp. He pitched it out there so that he and and others, some other leaders, could come together to pray for God's presence and to see his glory. So this is, what, this is what was happening. So we come to Exodus 33, 1 through 6. I'm, I'm going to read uh, a good bit of this and, and give you some summary points here. Uh, but 1 through 6 says this, The Lord said to Moses, Depart, go up from here, you and the people who you have brought, who, whom you have brought up out of the land of Egypt, to the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your offspring I will give it. So we're talking about covenant stuff here. I will send an angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go up among you, lest I consume you on the way, for you are a stiff-necked people. When the people heard this disastrous word, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments, for they knew that they, they knew that without God it would it would go it wouldn't go well. And they had heard his indictment. Um so they they where was I? Okay, verse five, thank you. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the people of Israel, You are a stiff necked people if For a single moment I should go up among you, I would consume you. So now take off your ornaments that I may know what to do with you. Therefore the people of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments from Mount Horeb onward. So when we think about, uh, as as we're moving in here, we we see it starts with, this, this bold and specific prayer still starts with personal evaluation and repentance. They can, they've been confronted with their great need for God, and they had heard God's indictment against them that they were finding their righteousness in other things. These ornaments that they were told to remove were the way in which they felt worthy to come into the presence of God. They were the, they were the thing that they would show off to people as the righteous ones. They had misplaced their value. They had misplaced their standing. And he says, remove your ornaments. So they removed them. These are the things they could, that, 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 that they were hiding behind. They examined themselves for idols and they laid them aside. And this, this moment doesn't typically happen through some organized prayer gathering. Rather, it's, the, it's really the strong sense of need and, and, and a subsequent focus of fervency by those who feel responsible for the mission and vision of God. It starts in the personal realm, but then it, again, it moves to the communal. Because of the gospel of grace in Jesus, 
This is joyous and life-giving instead, again, of an impossible burden to bear. They weren't told to go and make yourselves clean. They were, they were told, hey, be free from what you've done to make yourselves clean and come before me. And so, again, in the gospel of Jesus, we, he has made us clean. So they prepared themselves. Once again, it comes back to that theme of sin, repentance, and now the big and specific request. Look at verses 13 through 16. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways that I may know in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? So quickly, verse 13, we see a personal experience of the glory and presence of God. He says, so it's when it says to show me your ways, is to say, show me your glory. Exhibit your character and your power and your move. Show me your glory. So again, that is a specific, a bold and specific prayer. God, show us your glory. Verse 15, for the people, it's this prayer for the people's experience of God's glory. He says, he says uh, and he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from, up from here. So he says, hey, not just me, but, but the people too. So we pray, he's praying for on behalf of the people, not for me only. Another specific and bold prayer in verse 16, that the world might see God's glory through his people. I pray that this world would be our heart's greatest desire. We see that measured here of like, hey, I don't want it to go well with us. I want it to go well with us so that the world would know your name, your glory. So it's bold and specific. It's also constant and communal. Um, it's continuous. It's common. When I say common, I don't mean just mundane. I mean it, it, it is present consistently. It's not, it's not uncommon for the people of God when they are together to end up praying together, crying out to God together. It's continuous and common. It is the norm for us to be moved to prayer as we confront the great need of our world and the great promise of God in Christ. This is not the same as groveling, that we just come before God and we grovel or we're just, or we're just kind of this nagging. Andy called us to dependence on the Lord last week as, as he was teaching. Um, and, and to think about, do we recognize, we recognize that God in Christ is our soul sufficiency? And if so, then it is our joy to come before him and bring, again, every bit, again, the personal and the, the communal world opportunity. It's the picture that Andy referred to of the widow in Luke 18 that was persistent. And if an unrighteous judge can respond, how much better will a, a good God respond? It is the expression of the person that realizes there is no hope unless God moves. So we are continuous and we're fervent and we're unrelenting. We must pray without ceasing. Pray long. Pray hard. I think about this, this skit I used to do at camp. It was like he, we were talking about like praying. I was like, how do you pray hard? He was like, dear God. <laughs> uh, maybe. Maybe that's part of it. Uh, but it's more about like, again, your intent, 
your focus, your, your, de- your desperation of, under, again, understanding God's sufficiency in our need. We'll find the very process of, uh, you know, of praying is, is, is bringing about that which we're asking for. We actually grow in the process in this posture of passion and fervency and desperation because we long for nothing else other than the glory of God and to know Him. We end up having our hard hearts melted. The barriers are torn down. And we long for nothing else than to have the glory of God break through. So we need sustained, repeated prayer. Because we can't force revival, I want to invite all of us into this opportunity to pursue this kind of faith, dependency, and prayer that we would see a unique move of God in his glory. Do you desire anything more than that? If you do, then bring your desire to him and say, God, change my desire. Let's start there. Let us examine our own sin and repent. Let us do well and advocate for one another and lovingly inviting them, our brothers and sisters, into that same same opportunity. Let us join together to pray boldly and specifically for the glory of God, that he would shine through us and that the world would know his name and be transformed in his freedom given in Christ. Let me pray for us. God, I pray, I pray that I would be speechless more often. That as I am before you, our holy God, that my arms would hang limp, my words would run out, and I would be in awe. I pray that not just for me, but for us. I thank you that we are in us. You have made us a people in the name of Jesus. I pray that we would long for no greater unity than the one that is in Christ. I pray that we would long for no greater purpose than your glory. Lord, I know this stirs us up to hear these truths. I know that it is something that we we nod our heads at with great sincerity, but it is also something we are often at a loss of how to actually step into an experience. So, God, we just confess our desire and our need. Lord, I pray that we would do honest, hard work on our sin and repent well. We're trusting you for our restoration, finding joy and obedience, as Sam was sharing that Marianne talked about, because it's good. Lord, we thank you for Jesus the call in our lives is a joy and not a burden because of him. So let us remember well his work on the cross and the resurrection now. Let us reflect well this week as we move towards Easter, thinking of Jesus' last week. And uh, let us respond well now in communion in Jesus' name. Amen.